Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is KJ Live with Chris Johnson. And Chris is having conversations with influencers in the sports world and entertainment industry. Now here's Chris Johnson. You're now tuned in to KJ Live. Today's guest on the show is a multi-talented, multimedia personality, host, writer, and producer in 2015, he won a sports Emmy for Rand University. ESPN's 30 for 30 on legendary wide receiver Randy Moss. Our guest has written on sports, music, and culture for in politics for the past 15 years and continues to entertain sports lovers with exceptional television, podcasts, and radio programming on ESPN. And most recently, he was he is joining the cast of Back on the Record with the legendary Bob Costas on HBO. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome into the show. Bomani Jones is in the building. Bo, what's good? Dude, man, I'm good, man. How about you? Man, I'm wonderful, man. I'm just out here in LA. It's a little overcast, my man, but uh, we're hoping this burns off and we can make a day out of it. Well, I see, y'all are going to lose your minds over seeing some clouds. <laughs> that don't happen over there very much. Yeah, I, I know you have a little history out here, too, so we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, man, it's it, you know, LA weather's a trip, bro. But speaking on stuff that I kind of wanted to touch on with you, man, a lot of what you do, right, you, you are the kind of the contemporary pop culture commentator, the sports pop culture commentator. So we can always get your take on anything that's happening. You come up with these really thoughtful, intelligent sort of takes, man. You're always getting into the thick of it. But I don't think a lot of folks know your background. So one of the things I kind of wanted to do, because I've always been fascinated with your background ever since I first met you, I just kind of wanted to touch on a little bit about where you're from, uh, how you grew up, your educational background, man, some of your accolades, and then sort of how you transitioned into sports media. Yeah, no, I um, <clears throat> I was born in Atlanta, um, and we moved to Houston when I was right before I turned seven years old. We stayed okay. there until I graduated high school, so like right before okay. I turned uh, 17. Okay. And I went back to Atlanta, went to college at Clark Atlanta University. Yeah. Uh, my parents are both professors. And the thing about Clark that was interesting was 
at the time my father was working there and you know people asked me where i was going to school and one thing i knew i wasn't gonna do was go to school where my dad worked like, that, just, <laughs> that just didn't seem to make any sense whatsoever right like i knew what? i wasn't going to school anywhere near home and then like everything was moving back toward there for the family i was like yo this doesn't make any sense whatsoever um and then my brother who's 13 years older than me explained that ain't worried about what you're doing oh okay cool right <laughs> and so i made a trip down there so you gotta realize this is atlanta like i got to college in 97 but i took a visit there in 96 so like this is well, that's atlanta. like that's freak nick era man yeah like this is atlanta on the come up right this is right after the olympics yeah. And yeah. all of that. And I got there and I was like, oh, there's no question where I'm going to school right here. And that is exactly <laughs> what I did. And so I was there from 97 to 01. And I always say that, like, being in Atlanta at that time, now it's all kind of outsized and kind of outgrown itself. And there's True. a zillion things going on, but not a lot of room for things to breathe. This was while all of that was building. And it still right. felt like regional in a sense. It was like people were coming from everywhere to, little did they know contribute to something that was then regional and then would like suddenly become kind of like the pulse now of black culture yeah. in America is really coming out of Atlanta. Um, and so I started writing about music the summer after my junior year of college. So and that's like 97, so, 98. Yeah, oh no, this is now, this is like 2000, 2000, oh, is, 2000, when I, 2000. Yeah, is when I got right. there and that like, Again, this was the best place to be because so many people like I went to college with were trying to get this thing going, trying to get this website off the ground, trying to get this, you know, production company because Atlanta was the place to be. If that's who you were, you know, that's what you were about. You were going to know somebody. Right. And so it's people like you just, you know, you could always tell who was fronting. Like this is when cell phones were not the most common thing in the world. You always have somebody walking down the yard acting like they being important oh, talking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then as I started writing and getting in it, I started doing things and realizing, oh no, this person actually is like making some things happen, actually mm-hmm. is working on something. And so there was like a real spirit of collaboration around a lot of that stuff because so many people were just do, you know, were trying to play the same game, but not in a way that was that necessitated like competition between people. Like that no. didn't make a whole lot of sense for folks at that point. So I did yeah. that. I graduated from college and I was like, the one thing I know I'm not going to do is go to grad school, which meant, of course, in the fall of 01, I was in grad school. Uh, I went to Claremont Graduate University <laughs> in Claremont, Wait. California. What what made so you you was off of it at first, but then you decided to come to Cali. Now, why did you decide to make the move to grad school? Because I wasn't doing anything else. And these people called me and I'll never forget. They called me like in August and they were trying to talk to me about this fellowship that they had. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Like, I really don't want to do this. I really thought I was under a grave misunderstanding of how much money you could make by writing. Like, I thought that I was going to be able to sustain a livelihood as a freelance writer, and that was Pay dumb. your rent? You, you yeah. couldn't pay your rent both? Oh, man, I was dumb. Like, that, that, like, like, that was just... And I remember the moment that I realized it was dumb. And I realized that it was dumb... I guess it had to be around April because it was tax time. And I was talking to a dude that I'd met, you know, internet met, you know, who was a freelance writer. And he told me he was so excited because he was doing his taxes and he realized that he had made $10,000 freelance in that year. And I was like, excuse me, what? (laughs) Like the whole year? The whole year. Yeah. I had no idea that these people that were writing at the same sites as me had day jobs. Like I didn't realize this. I was like, Oh no, this is, this is definitely a problem. And so, I had met up with this dude from Baltimore who was trying to start a magazine. And he had sold me some promises about, you know, how much work I could get and all that stuff. So one weekend, my buddies were going up to D.C. because one of them was from uh, D.C. And so rode up there with him. I think I borrowed $100 from my parents because I was going to meet this dude and hammer out this deal and get this figured out. And that dude stood me up like I never heard from him while I was there. And just I remember ghost? I was just ghost. Like, I think I talked to him again later, but it was kind of a rap on that. And I remember I was at my buddy's mom's house and I was just, my head was back. I was so stressed out and the phone mm-hmm. rang and it was the folks at Claremont. And they were like, yo, so about this fellowship. I was like, okay, like now I'm listening, right? Like yeah. now I got a, now I got a little more of an ear to it. And then I remember I hit the lady on email. No, maybe in that conversation, I said, okay, so this is for February. I mean, for January, right? She was like, oh, no, no, that's for this fall. So we're now in the middle of August. 
And she's like, it's for this fall. And I went and talked to the parents and, you know, we made it work. I got out there. I'd never been to California before. I didn't know anybody in California. This wasn't the plan. And, and, and this is a very important detail. I had a misunderstanding of the spatial geography of Southern California. Okay. So I thought that I was going to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. thought I was going to yeah, people don't Los know Angeles. Yeah, Claremont is a little different than L.A. Right. Man. I caught a flight into Ontario, a very okay. convenient and charming airport. Just oh, absolutely. absolutely. But it became very clear to me very quickly <laughs> that it was not Los Angeles. No, sir. What would, so, I mean... Was there an adjustment process being from the South or did you just fit in fine because it's the college atmosphere? It was an adjustment. It wasn't really so much about being from the South. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that. The adjustment for me is that I spent four years in Southwest Atlanta going to a black college. And like if you are from like a place that has black colleges, but they're state schools, you ain't got a whole lot of white people there, but you got white people there, right? Like oh, you got okay. white folks taking classes at night when they get off work. You got people mm-hmm. who live around the area because they can still live with their parents. You know, like mm-hmm. they're still kind of there. When you go to like mm-hmm. a private black college, which Clark was, white folks ain't going paying no sixteen thousand dollars to come hang out with us. Like that, <laughs> like that wasn't that. That was not a, a, a proper not allocation. No, and so we're in the blackest part of town at a school as <laughs> black as you could possibly imagine. And I get to Claremont and I remember I got there for orientation and there was like one black person there. Like there was no, I was like a black person nowhere to be found. And I'm just walking around and I see this sign for the office of black student affairs. Cause I don't know nothing about how white colleges get down and all of them got some office for the black people to go hide at, you know, when things get a little yeah. bit rough to put all programs for you and stuff. And I just remember I walked yeah. in there and they were like, yeah, can I, I was like, I just feel like I need to be here right now. <laughs> I, just, mm-hmm. I, I did not know <laughs> what was going on and so i had to like it wasn't full-on adulthood because my parents are still helping me out you know a lot but this wasn't like this was a much more grown-up endeavor than anything that i had done before and that was i think a big part of it and graduate schools a lot harder than undergrad it's a lot Mm -hmm. more work than undergrad Mm -hmm. is and i had been Mm -hmm. used to just kind of coasting and i could coast through there relatively but yeah, no, nah, it was it 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 was definitely a cultural difference. Right. I wouldn't say shock, but it was definitely a difference. A quick thought on HBCUs. I have my younger brother Mariah graduated from Tuskegee. Uh, he actually got his master's in like occupational therapy, so he does stuff. And when I talked to him about his experience there. Uh, he said it was the greatest thing that's ever happened to him in, in his life just because of the way he felt and the way, you know, people embraced him. And he felt like everybody cared about his personal success. When you see all these different sort of now new age kind of campaigns to highlight HBCUs, Chris Paul's coming out with a movie. Jay-Z and Beyonce just launched something um, that is, you know, I forgot what it is, but a scholarship or something where they're giving directing funds to HBCUs. Do you feel like. Um, this is something that's a completely genuine act, or is it something that you feel? And I won't say that you feel, but for me, it sort of feels like this is good timing. And so people are jumping on it. They weren't really on it before. They're kind of getting on it now because of the timing. What's your take on that, Bo? I think it's genuine. And Mm -hmm. I also think it's good timing, right? Like, I think that a lot of things happened in the last 12 to 18 months that, you know, made people aware and think about things, you know, that thing you've been meaning to do, but you just ain't got around to yet. You know, I think that for a lot of these people, it's entirely possible that this is what it was and they push it to the top of the stack. The only thing I question about it, and it's not with the intentions of the people who are doing it, is I don't feel like it's making the right point about HBCUs. And I don't know if a lot of these campaigns can really do it. Cause I think it's a real common sense thing that gets lost in these discussions. Cause like mm-hmm. when I turn on TV and I see like on first take, for example, where they'll go to a black college and they have somebody doing a step show and the band will be out there and they're selling the idea of the culture and don't get me wrong. That's dope. Right. But um, that's not the reason to do it. It's not for the aesthetic. The biggest thing that I think that I got out of going to an HBCU, two things. Number one, I make the argument that HBCUs are actually 
the most diverse four-year college environments that you'll find. And it's because there is a diversity of class and experience because race is fiction, right? Like race mm. is just something that somebody made up in large part. Mm-hmm. And so the deli- like, why are all these people here? What's the common thing they have between them? Sure. They're all black. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't really mean that much in terms of what they actually have in common. And so once you go down the level below that, that's where you start finding like, oh, man, so we've got people from this, you know, whose mama does this for a living, whose mama does that for a living. Um, and all those people are interacting with each other on a regular basis because they're like, for example, you want to come down and you can go to a school that is disproportionately bourgeois. Yes, but you go to most HBCU schools and you're a bougie kid. Hey, man, there ain't enough of y'all to like really parse yourselves out from everybody else like all five of y'all are gonna be doing like, you know what i mean like it's just it's not enough people for you to be able to pull that kind of thing off and so mm-hmm. i met more kinds of people from more places in college than i think that most people who go to a predominantly white school would like you know there's an international element i think that comes in when you go to a predominantly white school you know just sure. people know those brands and they go or whatever but in terms of your actual interaction especially if you are a black person the black sure. folks wind up going to them schools and then just still hanging out with a bunch of black people. Just like, what's the point of going to school with all these white folks if you ain't going to kick it with them, right? Like, like, like this is this is what you signed up for. But I think yeah. that I've yeah. met a broader range of people than most people do in college by going to a black school. The other thing is, like, I'm not even talking about microaggressions and all that stuff that, you know, people who go to white schools talk about. And I mean, I went to, you know, two very white schools. Well, one very and then Carolina, which is an interesting thing in itself. But Claremont is wiggity white. Um, and I never like maybe I just don't notice these things. But, you know, the the microaggression and everybody getting on you and all that stuff. Now, nah, I didn't notice that. What yeah. I did notice, though, was how surprised people would be when they found out I was actually kind of smart, right? Like that was the biggest difference there. And so at the black school, there's a level of skepticism that you don't have to deal with from people, right? There are people who are more likely as a, if you are a black person to believe in what you're capable of because white folks got so much head trash about black people that they don't even necessarily realize that they have even the best intention some of the best people like they grew up in this same thing that we did right like all this stuff that we complain about they grew up with it and ain't really done a whole lot of questioning of it for the most part and so they don't know that they're thinking about that so like with me the way people who i worked with in college you know professors and the likes leaned in on my capabilities I didn't find that at most of the white educational environments that I was in, that people did that the same way. And that's what I think is the biggest thing that as a black student that you are going to get out of the black college, if you are a talented person, a creative person, a thinker or whatever, is those people working with you have to jump over far fewer hoops and get a lot less stuff out of the way before they can see what you're capable of. Mm. Staying on, uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. And that's his perspective that I really haven't heard explained like that as far as the diversity at the HBCU. Yeah, and you, but see, you can't get on TV and say that stuff. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like when they try yeah. to get out here and make the pitch. So what's yeah. the issue? Hey, man, white folks don't be thinking we can do stuff. You know, like, like <laughs> they not, Chris Paul can't get on TV and be like that. That's not going to work. You know? work that's not oh, going to work. They never gonna, white folks, they never going to give us no money to help do this if we start acting like that in front of people. Come on, man. <laughs> No, exactly. But but staying in college, man, the game, the college game has changed a lot. Basketball, our sports game has changed a lot since we were in school and since our era. Just what is your take on things like conference realignment, the NIL, and, and, and sort of the what I think is the declining popularity of college basketball? I feel like college basketball is at one of its lowest points as far as popularity. Do you agree with this assessment? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, I absolutely do. And it's interesting for me because, you know, when I, when I started doing radio, I was doing it in North Carolina, you know, and living there and being immersed in a place where the sports market is college sports, you know, but it also kind of exposed, not really exposed, but it just made me kind of think about it in a way that like I wasn't making all the money in the world, but I was making money to sit up on the radio and talk about what college kids were doing. Right. And I was, and I, and I would go through some dilemmas really on like how exactly to present it 
because like you, you know, you have to be fair. You have to be honest. You have to be somewhat critical, but these are also kids and they're not making no money. You know, like I do not want my job to be out here and people being like, man, look at, listen to the way that he picked on this 20 year old, you know, like I didn't want that, but it let me know these are pro sports. Like we are talking about this, like it's pro sports and all of it is professionalized. And the money has just gotten so big. And I don't bring that up, you know, to like speak to the horrors or evils of capitalism, but just to talk about the incentives for players Mm. where the chances of making a gazillion dollars are just so much higher than they ever were. And so people are going all in on all these dreams real early. (laughs) Like that's the big thing about it. I keep telling people, I got a homeboy. His son was one of the top 10 nine-year-olds in the state of Georgia at basketball. How is that a list? Right? How are they ranking that? Yeah, yeah, like how is somebody compiling this? But we are identifying athletes so young. And so I remember somebody told me this, and I had never really thought about it this way. And we were talking about Ty Lawson at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, I was there when Lawson declared for the draft press conference in Chapel Hill. And somebody asked the perfunctory question of whether he and Wayne Ellington were going to come back and finish their degrees. And Lawson laughed. Like, like he didn't laugh in the guy's face, but his immediate reaction was a laugh because this was yeah. not what he was here for. And I remember mm-hmm. the guy I was talking to, he was a pretty good high school basketball player at the time. And he was like, as soon as somebody changes schools for basketball, it's officially a job. Like once you once that happens, this becomes a professional endeavor. And so people are just looking up. They're not even thinking about going to college. Like that's just not the idea. Is and you also have a chance to get an education. No, nah, that ain't right. the talk no more. Nah, like like somebody not. might convince you of it after you get there. So yeah. the highest level dudes are just if they're going to college, they're getting there, they're immediately playing, they're getting out, they ain't really got no investment in what the program is or what it's going to be, except like Cal figured out a way to build something where guys cared about where the place was, but they're just getting in and they're getting out. And so where 25 years ago, even though some guys were leaving early, but 25 years ago, those were the best basketball players under 22 in the world, basically, who are playing college basketball. Now it's like, are just a random mix of players and it's mm-hmm. almost impossible to like not just put together a good team but a team that you kind of grow up with and part of the charm of college basketball that i think even if you're somebody like me who thinks the guy should get paid and understand all that and so forth and so on there is something to be said for watching somebody and meeting them at 18 and then letting them go at 22 and mm-hmm. you know just kind of seeing what the changes are and like what it's like when there's a freshman who comes in and can really ball, mm. but the 22-year-olds are still the ones who are starting, you know, and like yeah, figuring yeah. out how all that gets integrated in. Yes, yes. And all that's gone. Like, that's just yeah. not what the game is anymore. And Mm-mm. so if you are a casual fan or even like a diehard, really, what's there for you to latch on to? The, right. the most talented players of the age range are not there. It's hard to get like a real sentimental attachment to what's going on with it. It's, I mean, they messed up so long ago not realizing what this money game was. And now I don't feel like, and you will probably know this better than me, I, I just don't feel like these kids grow up even dreaming of playing college basketball. Like, I, I can't wait till I, you know, get old enough and I'm going to go play at Carolina or I'm going to go play at UCLA. I don't feel yeah. like they do that anymore. No, it's sort of a, to me, it feels like the kids are already fast forwarding and skipping to, you know, dreams of the league. And so that's their goal from the start. And then they don't even really care or care to know about college basketball, the history. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is John Middlecoff from Three and Out with John Middlecoff. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You know what I remember about my first car? Is that the moment I got it, I wanted to improve it. Because like most 16-year-old kids, you don't exactly get a luxury automobile. 
So you look at it, you go, well, I need to add some speakers. I need to tint out the windows. I need to make this thing the coolest car possible so I can cruise around town with all my buddies, waving at the babes, and enjoy myself. So my favorite part of car culture when I was young was definitely the subwoofers in the back of the car. And uh, we built the boxes from scratch, had multiple 12-inch subs, and you could hear me coming from a long, long way away. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. But with all these new leagues now, Overtime Elite, um, there's been the G League, Ignite, um, you know, which gives elite level high school basketball players an opportunity to earn six figures a year playing basketball. I wanted to get your take as somebody who has multiple degrees and been through all every, you know, part of the college experience possible, except I guess you almost finished the doctorate, too. But you pretty much you've pretty much done it all, Bo. Do you think it's important for these guys to go to college for a year to get that experience of college to socialize, you know, that socialization of college or whatever we want to call it? You think it's important for these basketball players to do that? Or do they need to go sort of this tennis and golf individualized sport route where we're pros at 15 and 16 and that's all we do? I think it would be helpful to do that college route if they actually like get to be in college, right? Like if it really feels like you're in college, yeah. then they should. If it's just like just to do it, just to say it, I think yeah. the real value in that honestly is in incubation. Just the idea that 18 is wild, young, and immature. Like it's probably a good idea to, to do just do a little growing up. You yeah. know, like like yeah. it's it's yeah. it's helpful. Like I look at like two examples that jumped to mind are Michael Beasley and Demarcus Cousins, where they could have just stood to do a little growing up before they got out there. You know, and Michael Beasley, who was begging to stay in school, he -hmm. was doing interviews like, why do I have to go do all this stuff? Like Mm -hmm. I. If you don't have any money, one hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is, it's a lot of money if you don't have any money. Oh, yeah. yeah. But for a lot of these guys that we're talking about in the end. That money ain't going to wind up being nothing to them. And I think that the value of taking a little time and growing up and not rushing all this stuff in the end is probably worth more than a couple hundred thousand dollars. However, I recognize it is easy for me to say that as a person with a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't want to pretend as though I don't recognize as a measure of privilege in the statement, but I think for like developing and becoming a happier person, because in the end, happy is what we're going for, right? And happy, happy is a hard thing to find. 
And I don't think being a professional basketball player at 15 years old is going to make you happy. I just don't (laughs) think so. Last thing on, on, on college and these guys skipping, I mean, there was, you know, Kwame Brown has been kind of, he started off hot and then it's kind of, you know, got locked into something now that he's doing on YouTube, which, you know, I don't really have an opinion about. What are your thoughts when you see this type of situation unfold in front of everybody and you're, we're kind of outsiders watching, you watch somebody kind of just go on and on about being picked on and, you know, just, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts, some a, per, a media, somebody that's in the media on how you view just the whole Kwame Brown situation. Well, you gotta be careful, man. He 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 finds everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, that dude is the troll of all trolls, bro. I've yo, never seen, yo he, he's crazy. Dog. He yeah, he finds everything. Um, <laughs> you know the thing with him, and I think I do think one point that he makes that is important is that we don't know him, right? And yeah. so I try to I want to be careful as I can on psychoanalysis yeah. of somebody like him because it's sure. fair. I don't really know the dude, but what I do know is. We were really hard on him just because he was the number one pick in the draft. Like, that's honestly his sin. If he were the number six pick in the draft, we wouldn't have had none of that stuff to say. And if you go back and look at that draft, with the exception being maybe Tyson Chandler, whoever went number one in that draft, we were going to ridicule forever. It was not a good draft. It did. No, and it even Tyson, when you think about it, I'm just, you know, you being in California, you remember oh, what yeah. the legend of Tyson Chandler was no when question. he was in high school. If yeah, he had been honestly. the number one pick and gone and played with Mike, we'd have just spent all our time talking about how Tyson Chandler can't score. It wouldn't have mattered how good. And it took him a while to get it together, too. We got to remember is. that part. Like, he didn't just yeah, walk yeah. in and shut down the lane. Like, oh, even, no. like, Healthy Greg Oden, before he got hurt as a young player, was more impactful than Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler, for sure. Right. We would have killed Tyson Chandler if he wound up in that same situation. Mm-hmm. And so then for all these years that come after the fact, Kwame Brown's name is listed as all-time draft bust, da-da-da, and all of this stuff. I would understand if somebody just got tired of that. you know. And I think that's one thing working in the media that I don't think that people we don't give enough credence to about the people that we cover which is we don't have people in our faces asking us these questions all the time we don't have people like we we are not most of us are not as good at our jobs as the people we cover are at their jobs and nobody ridicules us in the ways that these guys deal with it and who knows what else goes on in their lives and everything else you know so when i see a cat like him I'm like, yeah, I can see how this happens. You know, now he's a fascinating combination of a whole bunch of stuff that's going on. Like, I actually think he's really interesting. Uh, I haven't gone and checked him out in a while, but it's a a lot going on over there. Yeah, very interesting. He's still on the trades and coding for the the youth. I mean, that's been kind of his thing, his theme, you know, regardless of whatever mud he's thrown or, you know, stuff he's talked, he's always tried to, you know, stay true to that. I guess we'll see kind of, you know, what happens out of that. But but talking more about like today's athlete, right? When you look at Kevin Love and and, and Simone Biles and, and Naomi Osaka, uh, three athletes that have been really outspoken and open about mental health challenges. Now, when I was coming up, Bo, you know, you couldn't really be talking about that publicly. People, you know, that was back in the day where you would get ostracized, bagged on, and you know, people, you know, you get a stigma about you. But so you would have to suffer and hold things in and kind of, you know, just sort of cope on your own with you know, with more athletes coming out now. I wanted to get your opinion on how young do you think it's important to start providing mental health resources to athletes? How young of an age do you think we should start addressing situations in athletes? I'll be honest with you. Um, when I was 12, 13, somewhere in there, um, my mother suggested that I go see a therapist. And it wasn't like I was like in some supremely depressed place or anything like that. And I think a lot of it was just the function of like being that age. But I was also like, I was in a unique sort of circumstance because I had skipped a grade and then my birthday is in late August. So yeah. like the people I like the people in my grade in some cases are literally two years older than me, Damn. you know? And so they grow and I'm not, they, you know, all these different things that are going on. 
And it was just my I was living a life that was unique relative to my peers and not really something where I had people I could relate to or even really a circumstance in a lot of ways that like my parents could relate to or anything, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so the uniqueness of that situation, you know, mom thought it was a good idea. And it's one of the best things that ever happened. Right. It's one of the best things for me. And like I felt down the line, like left me grounded with a certain confidence and an ability to kind of be forgiving of myself when I make mistakes and the likes and, you know, all those kinds of things. And so if I think it was a good idea for me at that age, because my situation was particularly unique, we talk about people whose situations are probably more unique than mine were. And mine didn't come with any pressures, mm-hmm. you know, that were coming with this, you know, cause the big level of this also with a lot of these kids, you know, in this athletics is, they know it, man. Their parents trying to get this money too, you know. Like this, like Alan Iverson, for example. I think I read in this book, "Only the Strong Survive," a bio of Iverson. It made the point that his mama thought the guy sent Alan Iverson into her life to save her from poverty. Can you imagine the pressure that comes from somebody, you know, thinking that? And when there are other people like that. Yeah. yeah, like people, yeah. people that pro- folks probably go like see their cars and look at their parents' cars, look at their parents' houses, and think, "Oh, y'all living good," and their parents still looking at you like, "Okay, but we could be living great." <laughs> You know, like, like, you know, so imagine all that stuff. And so I really think, honestly, for just about anybody, but especially for them, this is something you need to start learning how to deal with early as you're doing it, as opposed to like somebody like Osaka, who suddenly got a lot more famous than I think she ever thought was going to be possible. And fame, by the way, the most overrated thing in the world. And now you're in it. And now so many people are tied to you and everything else. And you're trying to figure out how to deal with it, like all at the same time with folks. No, you should probably get started on this like most people should as soon as possible. Yeah. And don't wait until there's, you know, an inciting incident or something like that. Kind of be proactive. Much like you, Bo, I started seeing a therapist when I was 12 and 13 years old. I had a a younger brother that drowned in a pool accident, man. I needed I needed some coping mechanisms. I was in a bad place, depressed. I was low. And I do think it was life changing. The ability to talk to somebody about what you're going through that doesn't judge you, I think, is one of the most important things that we have today, because a lot of times as people, man, anybody. Right. We don't want to communicate. We don't want to talk about stuff, get stuff off our chest. So that's what it served for me. And and even in college, Bo, um, you know, I had a situation where I got suspended for, you know, undisclosed reasons. But, you know, everybody kind of knew what it was. I had to go through, you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. I had to do see a counselor three times a week, a guy by the name of Dr. William Parhan, who, by the way, is the head of the NBA Players Association sports psychiatric part right now. But so I had to do that, man. I tell you what, that it changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my basketball career and my life, man. When you when you get equipped with you know some ways to cope, brother, that stuff is you know that stuff is lifelong and it's lasting. You know what I'm saying? And you were Marcus Johnson's son, like you Pressures. know, and like that's the thing. And I think that's something. I imagine like some of these athletes, they like I'm somebody's son. It wouldn't mean nothing to most of the people who are listening. But in the worlds that I trafficked in, I was somebody's son. That's a pressure that a lot of people have in their life. By the way, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. But, you know, right. But (laughs) like, you know, but like but and these are just the pressures of being a regular person. Right. Mm -hmm, We go mm -hmm. get our bodies checked out like once a year. You Mm -hmm. know, we all can stand a little maintenance. I think the problem, the stigma, which I think is largely gone at this point. But I think that the idea of the stigma comes from the error that people make, which is you need to go look into those things because you got something wrong. Nah, 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 nah. These are little things, right? These are tune-up. This is tune-up type stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We're not talking about getting you a kit, right? We're not talking about rebuilding the engine block by and large. For most people, we just talk about some little tweaks because those little tweaks they they get out of control. They get out of control. And now you get now you got a problem. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Now your car on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. Bo, do you ever think that cannabis in the NBA or in professional sports will be an accepted way to address, like uh, just a widely universally accepted way to address different ailments, mental anxiety, or whatever, or whatever? Do you think it'll ever be that way, or will there always be sort of that? Cheech and Chong stigma associated with athletes and uh, smoking cannabis. No, I think it's widely accepted now. They just don't want to talk about it. Mm. Like the thing that people always have to remember with weed in the NBA is that they did not prohibit it until 1999. (laughs) 
right? Like this was during that lockout, the ultimate oh, yeah. culture lockout, right? Oh, like, oh yeah. We got we got to shut down this buddy. We got to get these dudes in line. They are out here wilding, right? And so just to get a little bit of that control back, they yeah. put in the marijuana prohibition. Mm-hmm. But again, 1999, nobody really cared about this before yeah. that happened. And so yeah. what I think happened with legalization, I remember when they legalized in Colorado, um, I used to read a section of the paper up there. They had a section called the cannabis where they were just talking about all the things that had changed. Right? It was really interesting stuff. Like just, sure. you know, like, like, of course, they had like reviews of food type stuff or reviews of strains and everything. But it was also yeah. just a lot of like business type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the local symphony was having cannabis night. But it makes sense. You go get really high and then you go to a concert. That's right? a good time. Like, like That's it's a totally good time. logical. But yeah. those are the people who were going there. Yeah. And so what I think happened is as these more, for lack of a better term, like sophisticated types started engaging in these things and presented these sorts of activities and started using words like cannabis and everything to kind of move away from you know the previous connotations of the way that people talked about this stuff. I just don't think that's something that anybody really cares about anymore. Like if Mm -hmm. you get caught, like if somebody got caught on a possession charge, I don't think like the way we still have people telling jokes about Jameis Winston and the crab legs, that ain't really going to happen with you if you get caught smoking weed at this point. (laughs) You know, like think about this. New York City is said, it's the wildest thing now walking through New York. You can smoke weed in New York now, any place you can smoke a cigarette. Word? Any place. Wow. Nobody's like tripping, nothing. No, no, that's the law. That's the law. Oh, dog, That's what I'm saying. That. Like the days of ducking off in the alley have <laughs> passed. I, saw, I was walking down the street on Sunday. I saw four girls in their brunch clothes just standing on the corner, Blazing. passing a blunt. And I'm like, I know what that used to look like. It used to look like, let's go take a walk. And then they over there in a circle and somebody like, hey, keep popping up. No, like. That ain't what's going on anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so once once in the bubble, I thought it was a very self-aware thing of Adam Silver to look at the bubble and be like, all right. Yeah, go ahead, bro. <laughs> like, y'all, y'all straight, bro. We ain't tripping, right, bro. Right, like, like y'all, because I, I feel very confident, too, that somebody in the process was like, so uh, me and the fellas was talking, and uh, I just think that, you know, given the circumstances and the situations and you know you say you care about how we feel mm-hmm. it would be really helpful for us <laughs> you know what i'm saying if we could just you know you, you know <laughs> you know like 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 come on man don't do for us sure. like that you know yeah for sure <laughs> what do you what do you think about the job though that adam silver has done since taking over as commissioner of the nba he's had you know a little tumultuous kind of uh well issues to deal with so what do you think I think that overall he has done a good job. I think that being the commissioner of the NBA is a difficult job. And I think succeeding David Stern is a lot to ask um, out of anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that he's got a league that is probably about maxed out on how much money it can make domestically, which means that it has looked to make this money in other countries that have lots of people. And that then also means that they also have some, questionable governments one could say right as you try to figure and balance you know those sorts of things out but one thing i do think about the nba at this point even with the black lives matter stuff and how it went the bubble and everything else i feel like when discussing the nba race is less at the forefront than it has ever been in the Mm -hmm. times that we talked about it like we don't have discussions now about how the league is too black which were discussions all the way through the 20th century, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have kind of gotten the league past that point. I was opposed to the dress code and everything else when they did that stuff. But I do have to say it's kind of effective. Like we had reached a point where the public really disliked NBA yeah. players. Yeah. Now they don't, right? Like, do I think it's silly that something like that would help bring about that change? Yes. Can I deny that it happened? No, I can't. Like, you know, these things, you know, these things have gone down. And so, They got a league where I think people generally like the players. And I think, though, what he's going to have to do is figure out how to get people back to caring about the basketball. And I think that people care less about the actual basketball than they have before. And so these social media arguments people enjoy having, and they're kind of cool to do, but the basketball. And I think they're probably due for some rules changes to encourage attacking the basket more and get away from all these three-point shooting and everything. 
But yeah. I still love the NBA. Yeah. And I think Silver's a good dude who's done a good job. I agree. I, I love where the NBA is. I'm not one of these dudes that's salty about, you know, the rules and how these guys have it easier. Uh, I, I do acknowledge that they definitely have some advantages and they have love in this league that I would never thought I'd see in the NBA. I never thought I'd see somebody making 50 million, you know, for the contract, you know, these deals, he's 48. I've seen the 48. I'm like, golly. Right. But, but all that to be said, um, obviously on, on the highest of levels, the NBA is, is we focus. It seems like we focus, like you just said, it's not about the basketball. It's about sort of the soap opera, sort of the drama, uh, which kind of brings me to this point about Rich Paul. Do you, do you feel like, like this LeBron Rich Paul situation, you feel like that's too much power for LeBron to have because he's able to kind of influence a lot due to his relationship with Rich, right? Yeah, I mean, or not really. Yeah, well, the discussions of them are so tricky just because of what all the whispers that always exist about how exactly this came to be. Oh, okay. This is my thing about Rich as it relates to LeBron. If David Falk represented LeBron and David Falk had a bunch of David Falk clients on the Lakers, we would just be like, hey, you do what you want when you pop it. That's what, that, 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 that would be the way we talk about it. Now, I also get the feeling, and I don't know this completely, but I get the feeling that Rich Paul is willing to represent some dudes that David Falk wouldn't even give his phone number to, right? Like yeah. like, like Markeith Morris. David Falk has no time for Markeith Morris' What's phone calls. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Do with with that? <laughs> right like that's i think one of the most interesting things is that rich paul has a client base that allows him to bring role players onto the lakers right that's like, amazing he's he still got those guys um yeah. but yeah if it was somebody else nobody would really have like a giant issue with what it is they're just a lot of people that feel like rich paul is not supposed to be in the position that rich paul is in hard stop that's what it is and what it comes down to to me with agents is that ain't a job you learn how to do in school. You got game or you don't, right? Like people who understand leverage, that's a real innate sort of thing. Like I can read up on all that stuff. I got degrees in economics. I know all the game theory. I know mm-hmm. all of that. But when it comes to the stomach, the gut, mm-hmm. you know, because Rich Paul will stare you down. We've seen that happen with a lot of contracts, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not like people just bow and capitulate to whatever Rich Paul wants. Remember oh, how yeah. long Tristan Thompson had to wait on that money? How yeah. long Gary yeah. Bledsoe had to wait on that money? All of that stuff. The dude's actually just good at his job. And so, I agree. again, I don't think he has any more power. David Falk had more power than Rich Paul. But David Falk's out here representing Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewan. And oh, we can yeah. go you know, up and down the list of all the guys that he had, plus mm-hmm. all the college coaches who mm-hmm. are walking their guys up. That was a dude that had some real power, right? Mm-hmm. Rich Paul is, I think, just really just a really interesting story. Yeah. Fascinating story. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You know what I remember about my first car? Is that the moment I got it, I wanted to improve it. Because like most 16-year-old kids, you don't exactly get a luxury automobile. So you look at it, you go, well, I need to add some speakers. I need to tint out the windows. I need to make this thing the coolest car possible so I can cruise around town with all my buddies waving at the babes and enjoy myself so my favorite part of car culture when I was young was definitely the subwoofers in the back of the car and uh, we built the boxes from scratch had multiple 12 inch subs and you could hear me coming from a long long way away with over 122 million parts you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, 
You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Who, who do you think is going to be the face of the NBA when LeBron retires? If he can get his team anywhere in the playoffs, my guess is a Luka. Oh. People want it, man. And he is a int- fascinating case to me in terms of the way that like he is received. Because you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I can't think of a white dude who immediately – shook off skepticism from the African-American uh, voting block as quickly as Luka Doncic had. You think Larry Bird, w- w- could we say Bird did? Well, or see, the was thing there was, not Bird as much? was so positioned against Magic that you had some haters, right? Yeah, they just, yeah. They just, they, like, they, like, they don't, they don't want to admit it now. Like, they <laughs> stopped, right? Like, it's like how like, suddenly every white person you know loved Muhammad Ali, you're like, yo, that's not possible. Right? I peeped gay, I peeped this too. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, then they just had to come back around and be like, nah, man, Larry Bird was. I think what happened was you got more access to black players of the day being like, nah, man, he was it. And then it was just like, okay, great, now we got to come around. And so with Luka, he's fun. Um, For NBA purposes, he's white. And, you know, that matters, man, whether people want to acknowledge it or not, that matters. Um, and he's really, really, really good. Like if they can take it anywhere, he'll be that guy because he's so much fun to watch when he's rolling. Like you're not going like Tim Duncan was never going to be the face of the NBA because that just wasn't no fun to watch. Yeah, Luca yeah. is a party when it them, comes time to play. Yeah, them step backs and all that. His yeah. game, man, his but, game. But you know what? You know what? And I want to ask you about this as somebody who again played in a different time than now. What Luca kind of has that I think has been lost a little bit over time in terms of like now the game is more spaced, it's more open, you know, it's more up and down, it's more about those shots. Sure. But a big part of the charm of basketball is like a dude like Melo. Mm. You are trying to guard me. Oh, yeah. I'm right here. I got the ball in triple threat. Nobody mm. ever been better that I've ever seen at like waiting to decide when to dribble than Melo. Yeah. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. But just that he had game. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like it's a, it's a, it's, I can't explain it any other way. Like when you watch like a Kevin McHale, we'll never be able to explain to these young dudes how cold <laughs> Kevin McHale was, but Kevin you McHale, won't. right. But the game that he had, this game, the, the current NBA, that, yeah. that, that style, there's no room for it, but there's an artistry yeah. to it. Right. Absolutely. Up and unders and stuff like that. Like Absolutely. there's a charm to that kind of stuff. And you don't see a lot of guys that have that kind of game. And Luca kind of does, right? Oh, yeah. Like, obviously, I mentioned a lot of post players, but I think you understand what I mean. Like, just kind of one on one little stuff. 
Yeah. Right. Well, he has an impeccable footwork. He has impeccable footwork and then the handle and just he's got big shot making just huge cojones, man. He will take the big shot. He don't care. And he will also knock down that shot off a crazy ass move. That's one of my favorite things to watch is Doncic when he's in his freaking bag, man. Yeah. Um, one more thing on the NBA is I do with everybody that we interview, man. I just wanted to get. Maybe, you know, your most just memorable story about Kobe Bryant. My Kobe story. And see, it was, it was an interesting thing for me when Kobe died because I was not a fan. Right. And so, you know, you're in this thing and you don't ever want to seem like the fake dude out here. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, how do you do this? And I realized about Kobe that. I grew up with Kobe Bryant in a way I hadn't thought about. Like Kobe graduated from high school the year before I did. So Mm -hmm. I have been aware of Kobe Bryant in some form or fashion my whole life. And I Mm -hmm. always said that I realized like after this went that I was 18 years old looking at 20 year old Kobe Bryant and evaluating him like he should have been some fully formed adult (laughs) because my stupid 18 year old ass thought that I was some kind of fully formed adult. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so then as time went on, like I look back at some of it and it was just like, oh, yeah, I was hating. Right. Right. Like I was just that there was. I was, yeah. I was I was I was hating. It was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'll always remember is in 2005, that's when I really kind of started getting into the sports writing thing. And one thing about ESPN is it ain't a place to learn how to do the job. That's just not what the place is built for. It's already at the top. You running. You know what I mean? And they wanted me to go cover. It was a charity game in Houston after Hurricane Katrina, Mm -hmm. I had never covered anything before in my life. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. And now I'm dropped off in a locker room at a charity game. And you have to understand, it's one thing to get dropped off in a locker room and it's like a star player and then just the dudes that are on the team. Not for the charity game after Katrina that's being broadcast on TNT. It's like being at the All-Star game, (laughs) right? And it's not just the All-Star players. It's like the All-Star media guys. I'm terrified. I'm legitimately terrified. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I'm obviously shook. I'm standing in the corner of a room. I'm not a type of person who's inclined to go make conversations with strangers, not understanding that's the whole job and these guys expect you to come up here and do it because I've Mm -hmm. never been in that space. And I'm shook. And I look over and I see Kobe sitting there. And I don't think he asked me to come over there, but I walked over to go talk to Kobe Bryant. And he obviously saw how shook I was, right? Like, he clearly understood how scared I was. And I'm like the youngest dude in the room by and large. Mm -hmm. He was really, really nice and, like, delicate and courteous. Was he? Toward me in that circumstance. Yeah, he really, really was. And again, this is 2005, so nobody knows. Like, I'm... No, who am I? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and I remember he answered my questions. And he says thing I didn't know. I, I didn't know how to ask questions. I didn't know how to do anything. And he really kind of like walked me through it. Like, he didn't tell me how to do it, but he was just real cool about it. You yeah. know, like I like yeah. I'll always remember that um, yeah. in that way because it was completely counter to anything I would have thought about him before I got in there. And honestly, maybe even counter to a lot of things I might have thought about him after I got out. Yeah. But I will never forget that in that moment because I think I realized better now how young I was than I understood at the time. And like, yo, that was a real cool thing of you to do, man. Man, no, man, I had that's that's a great story. I had a couple of interactions with Kobe. My my kind of relationship with him was kind of up and down. Uh, and I like to tell the story just to give people an idea. I wasn't just a hater, but you have to understand how we felt. Uh, I had just won. We had just won a national championship at UCLA. Man, I think it's like summer '95 or '90 or the next summer or something. But Kobe shows up as a 17 year old rookie to the gym. So he comes in, man, everybody kind of looks. We see the, you know, tall, 6'6", you know, just good looking young man, just young youth. 
He gets on the court, starts turning it out, man. He's dunking on folks, pinning people, goaltending everything, just doing crazy stuff. And so we're just like, dude, what's up with this dude? So ultimately, eventually we get into like, you know, a little thing, a little fight. He's, you know, he, I think he tip jammed on me and then kind of looked back at me. And I was kind of like, hey, man, you know, F you, man. Don't be looking at me like that. And as I'm going to to, to go get him, you know, because I'm running at him, I'm pissed off. This young man, this young boy, that's back in the day when a young fella show you up, you know, you got to right. get it going. You know, that's back in those days. As I'm running towards Kobe, all of a sudden I see Magic Johnson enters my my vision and he's like, Chris, come on, Chris. Nah, that's my young boy. <laughs> Chill out. So I like run into Magic, kind of like, Kobe, you. And Kobe's like behind Magic. I ain't scared of you, Chris. I ain't scared of you. I'm like, man, so it was a crazy scene. So let's fast. So that happened. And, you know, I didn't see Kobe for like another two years. Let's fast. I think I was a sophomore at the time. Fast forward to my senior year. I'm playing in Magic Johnson's Midsummer Night's Classic, which is this big celebrity game that he invites a bunch of pros. So he invited us UCLA seniors to play in the game. I get to the arena, find out, man, Kobe's my doggone coach, bro. So he's my <laughs> coach in the celebrity game. So I'm already kind of just feeling like and, and this is like Froby. And uh, yeah. he, he already busted uh, Sacramento. I mean, he's been, you know, winning the dunk contest. You know, he turned it out. So he's like, I had to sort of bow down and kind of have, you know, fall in line, Bo. But check this out. So, you know, I get on the court. He, he puts me in the game. You know, I score like six or eight in a row. Then all of a sudden we had we had sort of a free throw situation. I'm kind of on the other end. I hear like a whistle. He whistles. He looks at me. He, he looks at me on the bench. I look, I look at him. He's like, hey, boy, keep shooting. Keep shooting. He gave me that like keep shooting encouragement confidence move and from that moment man i was just like man i felt like a jerk and an asshole because like you said when you have that sort of intimate moment with the guy he shows you a part of him that you just didn't expect man i didn't expect him to do that i thought he was gonna be surly about everything showed me love man dap me up eventually down the line you know i had my feelings about him when Shaq left and all mm-hmm. that but when he when he passed bro it was it was you know it was one of the toughest uh days i'd had as a, just an adult i hate to say that because i have had family and all type of people that have passed but it was a different sort of tough it was, it was you know what i'm saying bro it like was it was the different- same thing for me it was like yo like i say i'm not a kobe guy right yeah and it was still a thing, right? You yeah. know, because look, there were Kobe guys. Like, they were calling on my podcast, and I was listening to them, right? I, like, I'm not saying this to be like, yo, I ain't even like that dude. That's not oh, the yeah. point I'm making. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to make sure I understand what he means to some people. Yes. I'm not in that space that those people are in, and even still when that happened, right. and it really was. It was just like, nah, we kind of grew up with this dude because what I feel like happened to him in the last couple of years, and like the story you described points out, he had to learn this people thing. Right. And see, and I can I could personally relate to that because Mm -hmm. like I have older parents and I went to school 20 something miles away from where I lived. I spent most of my childhood interacting with adults and like on college campuses with my parents. Mm -hmm. I did not know much about interacting with people who were my own age. Mm -hmm. Like when I got to college, oh, boy, I was a jerk. (laughs) I just just didn't know how to do it. Right. I'm trying to figure it out. And I really just simply didn't know how to do it. And when you think about Kobe's upbringing. And, you know, where he'd wind up in the places he's in or whatever. And I was a dude that had to learn how to hang out with his peers, except he didn't really have any peers. He's Kobe Bryant. And so he just, I hear, I have come to destroy. Right? I have come to destroy. And now he's yep. destroying everybody. And he's probably like, yo, what's the big deal? Why are these guys bad? And like, Magic yeah. could probably be like, Kobe bad, you know? <laughs> and I can imagine Kobe sitting there with him, but like, like, like when a five-year-old hits you back with the simplest questions, because yeah. like, you know you try to hit them with something that don't really make no sense. Yeah. And they just yeah. can't, they can't grasp the nuance of what you're talking about. Right? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. that's what I could imagine. And so that's what I really thought as it got farther and along with him is just, it sounds like he just got a bit better at interacting with people. Yeah, he did. And then, you know, how he ended everything, you know, it's kind of being a sort of a, a role model or stepping up for the women's game. I think yeah. that part of it. And then the girl dad aspect, man. So, you know, it was it's been tough. But I, I thank you for sharing uh, that story, man, because I try to get everybody's take on somebody that meant a lot to a lot of people, brother. Bo, man, it's been a real one. It's 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 about an hour in, man. I think uh we we can shut it down here, man. I appreciate uh you giving us your time, brother, being open with us, talking about what we did, my man. And uh 
And I hope we can do this again sometime Dude, soon. Dude, all good. We got to catch up. You realize it's been 10 years since we was hanging in uh, New York that New time. New York. Like, no, how, did 10, yeah, how did 10 years, like, run away that fast? I'm talking about fast, too. But I look <laughs> up, man. It's like, what? Nah, man, that was a memorable night, man. But we got to do it again some point, Bo. Yeah, man, sure. let me know. I'll holler at you next time I make it out to L.A. if the world don't catch on fire. Man, please do. I got you. I <laughs> hey, got man, you, I appreciate man. you. All right, but Monty Jones on KJ Live. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.